gave me a message that I had preached years ago. And the timing of it just kind of felt right. I don't think I've preached it to anybody that's been in here. And if you have, um, it'll be a review. But I'm sure some can't even remember what I preached two weeks ago. And so I'm pretty sure you're not going to remember what I preached three, four years ago. Actually, it's like six weeks ago. There's a story I want to read. It goes like this. Consequently, the routines carried out in their domestic quarters could and did reconnect them to some of the practices of their African homelands. As they were fashioned their own clay vessels and used them to cook their meals according to their own preference. If you haven't figured this out, this is regarding African slaves back in the 1800s. The African quality of their domestic routines was so evident to one 18th century visitor that he would write that the Carolina looks more like a Negro country than like a country settled by white people. At plantation sites across the Carolina low country, archaeologists have discovered that over 90% of the ceramic evidence consists of fragments of colonial wear, a finding that suggests that slaves controlled far more of their domestic routine in this area than was previously suspected. Given that Africans were the largest population group in South Carolina during the colonial area, colonial, it should not be too surprising that black Carolinians would continue to use their African languages when conversing among themselves. I've been told before by missionaries, there was a story I heard, that missionaries would, um, they were born in America, their kids were born in America, but their primary life was in uh, South, South America, where, where Spanish was the primary language. And they come like normal, they come do their furlough, come, in, you know, come to the country and spend a few months raising funds to go back to uh, their missionary life and doing their thing. And one time when they came back, they, they noticed their children struggled to speak English. Because they were so engulfed in Spanish that they literally the only thing they ever spoke. And they noticed the struggle. And it blew my mind away was just to think about that. How you can forget a language. And I've heard people say it before, well, well, you're in America, you should speak American. Well, I understand that outside. You go to the grocery store, you should learn the language of the place you plan on spending the rest of at least the next five, ten years in. However, I don't blame them for going home and speaking a different language. And I've heard of many doing that. I've had Spanish friends, uh, Hispanics, that they only spoke um, Mexican in their, in their houses. It was the only language they would speak. Well, that's, I have Mexican friends and they were fine. <laughs> and so they would speak that and they would speak Spanish. And when they spoke Spanish, and um, they did it so their kids would not forget. They wanted them to remember the language that they came from. So very much so, the reason I read the story is it shows that there's, you know, even the Africans, when they, they were brought over, obviously we, we, don't, we don't agree with the slavery aspect, but when they were here, in order to keep their culture, they kept it ingrained in their homes. They reminded themselves of the things that were done before. They still practiced the customs just so that their family could not lose the heritage yeah. of their African descent. Yeah. See, they, they realized that to them, they were strangers in a foreign land. We must live in this world, but it's not our home. Our Father in heaven has children, and his children are strangers in the land that he made. This is not our home, and we are to treat this place as not our home if we want to be claimed to be children of God. My title today, as you found in your handout, the father of strangers. I'm going to use the entire book of Hebrews chapter 11 to really discuss this topic. And by the end of this, my hope and prayer is that you realize that earth is not your home. We are just passing through. We're strangers in a foreign land. But before I get to Hebrews 11, why don't we just one more time open up in prayer. And just ask God to bless the remainder of this study. Let's do that. Jesus, we thank you and we glorify your name and we ask you, God, in this place right now in Jesus' name, that you help us, God, that you encourage us with this word, that you inspire us, God, to hear what it is that you have for us 
this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I do appreciate someone correcting me about me saying not saying Spanish. That is the proper term. I should have said that. Well, I apologize. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance. Everybody say substance. Of things hoped for. The thing for the evidence of things not seen. Anybody that grew up in the church probably memorized that scripture in Sunday school or Bible quizzes. Now, what is that scripture actually telling us is the question. What about faith is, is it telling us? What is the description of faith in different words? What is an example of this? Great example of faith. But for the purpose of this lesson, I want to take a look at another aspect of faith that flows well with this chapter. And that is the faith of heaven. Heaven is not something we can see. Heaven is not something we can imagine as much as we want from what we see in Revelation. But we really can't see it. But it's something that we hope for. It's something that we seek for. But the evidence is unseen. Think about it. Isn't heaven something that we want to be in? Isn't heaven something that we are seeking after? Am I speaking to a Christian church that believes in going to heaven? Or am I speaking to a church that wants to go to heaven? We want to go to heaven. Let's look at verse 3. Another aspect of faith. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, I understand the, this is speaking of the origin of things. Right? Because obviously we can plant a seed and it can grow a tree. We can multiply in a relationship in marriage and multiply more children. However, before that took place, something had to create all that. And that's what God did. He created, but we can't see him. But he created. The word of God spoke it. So by faith we know that the word of God, which we can't see, made the world which we can see. And likewise, we know by our faith that God created the heavens which we cannot see. Are you following me? This is, a, this is going to start out very teachy at first. We're going to get a little bit more of a maybe preachy at the end. But this is probably more of a teaching sermon this morning. Let's go to verse 4. And let's apply this with the story. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. He's dead. We can't see him anymore. We can't see Abel. But his faith still speaks. What he did still speaks. So by using the definition of faith, which is something that we hope for, but the evidence of it we have not seen, how can we describe faith of Abel? What was he hoping for when he made his offer to God? The scripture says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. What was he hoping for? Remember, faith is the substance of things unseen, those things which we hope for. So what was he hoping for? What was he seeking after? What was he desiring Faith is a substance of things, not, is things hoped for. Sorry, I said it backwards. And it's the evidence of things not seen. So if we take that as the definition and we apply it through the entire, that's what I'm doing. I'm applying it by faith. Every time it says by faith, you go back to verse 1 and read that again. So what is he doing? What is he hoping for? What's the evidence that he doesn't see? He's offering a sacrifice to a God he can't see. But he believes. He's hoping for something more. He's hoping for a deeper relationship. He's hoping for a heaven, for a place where his builder and maker is God. I'm getting ahead of myself there. Could he have been making the offering the way he was taught by his dad, Adam? By giving God an animal sacrifice and believing that it would help him in going to heaven? By me giving the sacrifice that helps my process to heaven. That's faith. Sometimes people get so caught up in the works that we forget that there's a faith behind what they did in the Old Testament. They believed by me doing this, 
this gets me this. It's not me personally. It's that God provided this sacrifice in Genesis 3 when he clothed Adam and Eve, when he had to make his own sacrifice, right? Class, remember Genesis 3? They, they took it in their own hands and tried to dress themselves. What did they dress themselves in? A bunch of leaves. A bunch of, they were in bikinis. They weren't very covered. And God saw appropriate that that's not enough for me. You need to be more covered. And he also went along and he said he gave them animal skin. Well, in order to have animal skin, you've got to have a sacrificed animal. So God did the first sacrifice in order for Adam and Eve to be able to be forgiven and look for that hope that's in heaven. Don't you think that he wanted to go to heaven? Abel, or, uh, Abel, yes. I believe so too. And he knew he needed to do the right thing in order to get there. But his brother Cain wanted to take the shortcut out. And his offering was not the way the Lord commanded it to be. Therefore, his sacrifice was rejected. That's what some people do in the walk of faith. In some places, in some churches, some other places, they, they walk and they take the shortcut around. Well, if I can just cut this way, well, maybe I can get the same result. Well, that's not always the case. That's why you find in Matthew, people casted out devils. They did miracles. They called on his name. But Jesus says, I don't know you. Those were believers. They believed in Jesus. But they must have been like the, the virgins with the, with the um, lampskin or the lamps. They ran out of their oil. They ran out of the Holy, Holy Ghost oil, that anointing. That's a whole other Bible study I can't get into. There's a freebie for you. You go study at home. At some point, in between all this, Cain became jealous and killed his brother. We have to be careful when comparing our gifts with other people. Sooner or later, that other person's gift will be better than ours, and it will cause bitterness and jealousy into our life, and we will end up emotionally killing that person. The best thing you can ever do to overcome jealousy is brag on that person. Look what that person did. Look what that happened. That's awesome. People can get easily offended over someone that in the open air just does right. It just draws an attack. That is what happened here. Abel is doing right, and God honors it, but Cain, his brother, is doing it wrong, and God tells him instead of changing Cain, instead of changing, Cain gets mad and kills his brother. Don't think the God of the Old Testament was a mean cuss. He wasn't. He was just as forgiving and merciful as he is today. He gave Cain the opportunity, but Cain did not choose it. He said, Cain's sin is at your door. You're about to go kill your brother. You can choose today to do right and turn away from that. But Cain decided, no, I'm just going to get angry and mad. Notice something in the scripture. What is the last part of verse 4? God testifying of his gifts and through it, he being dead still speaks. When we do something right, there is somebody watching and admiring it. There are people who are searching for truth and they will see truth when we go through some verbal persecution and keep our faith and they will turn it and they will in turn want what we have. Deep down in every human being is, is a desire to do right. But the reason everyone doesn't do it is because they get scared. See, when we do right in front of other people, they will be drawn. I know when we first got here, we started Community Connection. And we went out to the Pine Ridge Apartments and we just played with kids on Wednesday nights. We didn't do anything else. It was during the summer. We just played with kids and, and had barbecues and we, we met some people and, and met them. And, and there was a lady, her name was Portia. And, and she had come to church um, just from that in itself. We, we didn't go there and start preaching the gospel. We were just examples and they'd come and talk to us. And they were drawn to us because they were blown away. Why would anybody just spend their Wednesday nights giving kids all this stuff and, and attention and, and just being so kind? It drew their attention. And Portia was the first person since when I passed, when I started pastoring, was the first person who ever got the Holy Ghost. And then in, with her herself in that same apartment complex, opened up a huge Bible study with like five other people. Just from that one thing that we did, some people remember a, a sweet lady, her name was Malika. I miss her to death. She, she would still be here today, but she uh, had to move to Illinois, but she came and she came from the same thing and she got her life right with God. She got filled with the Holy Ghost. God, we baptized her in Jesus' name. But the terrible thing was that she had to move. She was already in the process. She had to go back home, but there was nothing there for her. So I pray to God that she's found something there. But the bottom line is people are looking for what's real. They, they don't want the fake. They don't want the genuine. They, they want the genuine. They want the real. 
But the big picture here about Abel was that his hope was in heaven. Let me stop again and interject here that heaven should be our motivation to reach lost people. It should be that motivation that we want to see as many people get to heaven as possible. We want to help as many people as we can to know that there's a Jesus that loves them and a Jesus that wants them in heaven. There's a father in heaven that is looking to them and wants them to know that he is their dad. But it takes the church, it takes us as people, a motivation. I preached a while back. In fact, you could also, we could also be persuaded by hell. Not, not to not live for God or to live for God, but persuaded the fact of thinking of people burning in hell. Thinking of people suffering in hell should persuade us to reach people. It should persuade us to say, I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see my coworker do that. I don't want to see my neighbor. I don't want to see the gas attendant down the street do that. I want to see them go to heaven. Abel had a picture of heaven in his heart and was determined to make it there, which led him to offer the right sacrifices to God. Let's go to verse 5. Again, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For, for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So how by faith was Enoch taken away? Did he believe that God was going to just come down and just take him out of nowhere? Maybe. The Bible doesn't tell us that part, though. Why would Enoch want to please God? Why was it such a big deal to Enoch to please God? It's because he wanted to go to heaven. He wanted to see his maker so bad. He wanted to see his, his, his God. He wanted to see his creator. He had a relationship with him, but he wanted a deeper relationship. So that's why he walked pleasing to God by faith. Because during Enoch's time, people weren't turning to God. Enoch was a rarity. And in all that stuff going on, all that social media and all the news and all that stuff in his life, he turned away from all the distractions and said, I'm going to unplug from all that stuff. And I'm going to plug into God because he's who I want to please. I don't need to know this stuff. Listen, I've said it before. I'm, I read the news. I listen to it. I think it's good to know. I think we need to be aware of what's going on. We can't get so caught up in this world that we forget about the world that we're going to. Amen. That we forget that this place is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We are strangers in a foreign land. And our maker is a father of strangers. And I'm one of them. And you're one of them. And I want to go there. I don't want to be so caught up in the political stuff that I forget who he is. I'm not saying you don't vote. I'm not saying we don't stand up for our rights. I said it, I think, on Wednesday night that, you know what, until, until we become so dictatorship in this country that literally you get thrown in jail for going to church, I will fight for my rights. But I'm not going to fight at the extent to push people away from God. I'm going to do it with what I can and how I can. Because my biggest goal is not to be American. My biggest goal is to be Christian and show other people to Jesus. Yeah. Am I saying don't be American? Come on, no. I served in the military eight years of my life. I love America. I love the flag. I love all that stuff. But I'm not American first. I'm Christian first. I'm a stranger in this land. Yeah. I, am being, I have been purchased, been bought by a price, and that price was Jesus' blood. Amen. And that's what we've got to have that mindset. That's right. And that's what Enoch did. He shoved that stuff away. I know I said social media, obviously we know he didn't have that. But just take whatever our time is, all the stuff that we have today. He had stuff similar back then, it was just in a different context. And the point is he pushed it away and said, I'm following God. And God said, you know what? I am so pleased in you, I'm just going to go bloop, and take you right out. The dude's just walking down. I don't know if he was walking or he was praying or he was sleeping. But all of a sudden, the next thing you know, Enoch was sitting in heaven and he was looking at his creator. Yes. Just like that, gone. Same with Elijah. Elijah actually got taken off in a cart. Somebody watched him go. But Enoch was just walking. I was just sometimes you wonder, is he walking with somebody? Wouldn't that be just so funny? <laughs> Where'd he go? Just gone. Crazy. But his pleasing, he was pleasing God because his focus, his faith was going to heaven. It was, uh, he was seeking something that he had never seen before. It was something he was hoping for. Think about it. Verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he comes, he comes to God. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In 2021, our desire should be to please God. Our desire should be to draw closer to him. We need to draw closer to him in prayer. 
You need to go longer in prayer than you've ever gone before. Go deeper in prayer than you've ever gone before. Get deep in that word. Get deep in this book. Uh, just devour it. Eat it. If you only read a chapter a day, start reading three chapters a day. If you read three chapters a day, go ahead and read four or five chapters a day. But devour God's word. Get into a life of fasting, making a consecration before him. Take your worship to another level. If you're only just putting your hands up just like this, well, why don't you just start stretching them out a little bit farther? Maybe you're already stretching out. Maybe start getting a bounce in your step when the song's just getting right. Why don't you just step out in your worship more? Give more than you've ever given. Do more for God. That's what 2021 should be pleasing to God. That should be our primary focus. And we all are, most of us have seen that scripture, he, uh, verse 6. And now, I want to ask us to, to see this from the faith perspective of going to heaven. If you come to God believing that he can do something, but not with a heart hungry for heaven and hungry to see him there, then do you think that is pleasing to God? If we're only coming to him for something we want just for us personally, just for us in a selfish mindset, I'm not saying you know, we don't pray, God, I need this job or help me. I'm not saying that. But if our faith is all based off of what he can do for us, I don't know if it's very pleasing to God anymore. But if we're coming to him and we're first going to him and saying, God, I just want to see you. I want to be in heaven with you. I can't wait till that day comes. There's some songs you get, some of those old hymns too. You get to those songs like the third or fourth verse, and it just starts getting into heaven. Start looking at him, looking at him, and, and seeing him, and um, seeing him face to face, and, and the earth fades away. I think that's a cross song. And so that, that stuff just starts moving me because I start getting a picture of heaven. I start just trying to see the only glimpse I can even get, which I know is not even close to what he looks like, but it's the greatest thing I can think of in my mind of what he is. But then, yes, there's nothing wrong with turning to God, asking God to help me with this, help me with that. But if our primary focus is us, then we're missing what by faith means. By faith, I want to be in heaven with him. If you come to God believing that there are some who do things because they want it, but they lack in their desire to go to heaven and see their maker, and then their prayer is not answered and they get mad at God. I'm not saying every time God doesn't do something, that's the reason. But I'm just saying there's times that is the reason for some people. It's not his fault. He is not interested in people who just want things from him, but not a relationship and the desire to spend eternity with him. What would happen if we begin to apply our faith like Enoch and just wanted to do his will and please him because our ultimate joy is making it to heaven? Not in what we can get. It's impossible to please God without the hope for heaven. Let's go to the next verse, verse 7. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. He went against the entire culture and warned of a rain that flooded the earth. And rain had never rained on the earth before that. He looked crazy. Everybody say Noah was crazy. To his culture, he was nuts. It's going to rain, and God's going to judge the earth, and we need to get in this ark that I'm building. What's rain? Water from heaven. <laughs> okay, sure. Love to see that. I've never seen a cloud in my life. I don't even know if Noah knew a cloud would come. Who knows what he thought was going to happen. But by faith, see, he was looking I'm doing this because I want to get there and I want to see him and I want to be with him. That was his faith. His faith was in his maker and being with his maker and being in heaven. Noah's hope was heaven and his hope was to see Jesus, his father. We have got to get to a place where we are not afraid to let God move through us, even if that means possibly losing our reputation. Noah was the weirdo. He was the dude that everybody made fun of. Anybody ever watch Home Alone? Remember that old guy that they made? They said that it was like he was the shovel slayer. Yeah. He was a sweet old man. That was Noah. Sweet old man trying to help people get to heaven. And they probably all looked at him as a bunch of crazy weirdo. Don't, don't go by Noah's house. That dude over there, you stay away from him, Johnny. You get away. Do not go by him. You went where? You went to go check. I mean, that's how Noah was. He was the weirdo. 
But he didn't care. His focus and his faith was heaven. His focus and faith is, I want to be where my maker is. There are times in our faith that we have to step out with our mind on heaven and the Father who is waiting for us to do things without the worry of the popularity we may lose down here and realize that we are actually gaining popularity up there. That's where I want to be popular is in heaven. I want my name written on places in heaven. I want to be known. There's sometimes a prayer I pray and say, God, if you ever wrote more in your Bible, I pray that if you wrote about me, that I have the same testimony as David, that I was a man after your heart, that I have a testimony of Enoch, that I walked pleasing unto God. I don't want to be famous. I just want to be known by you for those things. I want to be known by you for those things in my life. I am on a place. You are a father of strangers, and I'm one of those strangers. This is not our home. We're just passing through. The treasures I want to lay down here are, in, are that I want to lay down are in heaven, not on earth. Treasure is winning souls. Verses 8 through 13. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he had received as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promises in the foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many of the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. When Abraham left his home, he left with the mindset of pleasing God and going to heaven. Their faith in another country is what led them through the many miracles and blessings of God that they went through. I don't have time to cover the stories of Abraham, but his faith led him to become a leader of a small country. It led him and his wife to be the oldest couple uh, since to have a child at the age of 190. God will call you out, young person, as well as you, mom and dad, or single adult. And he will do it when you are least expecting it. He will call on you. But if our mind is not towards heaven, if our mind is not on heaven, then it's going to be very hard for God's communication to get in our hearts. There's a great parable out there of a man that, and everybody's heard this parable, and it can never grow old. The example is so, so profound. The man that sat on the roof during a flood and said, God, deliver me from the flood. And a boat came up and said, hey, man, you need some help. He said, no, I got God. He's going to take care of me. And the boat went on. And then a helicopter came. He said, hey, man, you need some help. We can get you out of here. He said, nope, I'm trusting in God. He's going to get me out of here. And then obviously the end of the story is the man dies. He gets to heaven. And he says, God, why didn't you help me? He says, I sent the boat and I sent the helicopter. What were you doing? Sometimes we, we are not expecting because we're not focused on him. We're not focused enough to hear him, that he shows up in the ways that we can't even imagine. Look, you look at Rahab, and I'm, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but Rahab, she was a harlot. She was a prostitute. I can get more vulgar, but I won't, for the sake of children. But she was what everybody would cast away. And God used her to deliver the Israelites. I wouldn't be expecting that. It'd be the last thing on my radar. Someone from a different country, that's the biggest sinner of all in our country, is the one God uses to deliver my, my people from uh, Israel into the promised land to defeat the giants. God will come into our life and he will call on us in the, in the least expecting time, expecting way. But if we're hungry and we're seeking and we're seeking for heaven, then it's going to be a lot easier to hear him. And when you step out in faith for God, he will honor you. I promise you that. Verse 14. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. Ever wonder why you can go through camp or conference? It's just a great service and be all fired up to take the world. And then a week later, be back where you started. Well, that's because 
There's a good chance that's one of the reasons because your mind is not on heaven. You still consider earth your home. You're focused on the earthly things of life. Again, I'm not totally against saying everything bad about that. There's an aspect to where if we are so focused on this world, we're so focused on our career, we're so focused on the politics, we're so focused even on our family to an extent, that we can miss what God is trying to do. This world, all we have to do is, you, all you got to do is open up your phone, your computer, whatever you do, just go to Fox or CNN or MS, NBC, CBS, whatever. There's new stuff out there. Go to Parlor and there's a bunch of stuff in there, Enoch Times and all that. And if you need to hear negativity, just read the news. There's plenty of it out there. And that's why it's so easy for us to turn from a fired up life all excited about Jesus. Then all of a sudden we start looking at the world and we start going. Because we're not seeing this world as our stranger. We're not reminding ourselves, I'm a pilgrim here. This is not my home. My home's in heaven. So if everything gets terrible here, I'm not worried about all that because I'm going to get to heaven and it's so much greater up there. I'm going to see my maker. There's going to be no tears in heaven. There's going to be no sorrow in heaven. It's joy unspeakable and I get to see his glory. Man, that should have made you get all excited. But maybe it's settling in in your mind that that is literally what we do. I'm not, I'm not, hey, listen, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. There's times I get all bummed out and disappointed and depressed about what's going on in this world. But if we get caught up in this stuff, then we're forgetting where our make, where, where our, our place is. We're forgetting that our place is in heaven, that God has made a better home. His maker and builder is God. That was what Abraham and Sarah were doing. They were pushing the world away and they said, no, we're going to keep serving God. We're going to keep trusting in his promise because we're trusting in a land that we've never seen before. So I brought up the, the, the opening story, the Africans, when they were here, they were still thinking, I am a pilgrim here. This is not my place. This is not my home. I'm still African through and through. This is my homeland is still there. And I'm going to be what I am there even if I'm in a foreign land. Listen, we're in a foreign land. That doesn't show I feel the Holy Ghost. That doesn't change us from being Christian. That doesn't change us from being Pentecostal and apostolic and blood-bought and washed in Jesus' name. We can still walk on this earth and look at this earth and say, this is not my home, but I'm still holding on to my values. I'm still holding on to this book. I don't care what happens in America. I'm still going to hold on to this word. I'm still going to live by this truth. That's what they did. That's what some missionaries do. They hold on to some of their things. They let the, as uh, matter of fact, the missionary I told you about, they went home and they only spoke English at home. So their kids wouldn't forget it. If we never open this thing and we only open it a couple times, you're not going to catch it. But if we open this thing and we make consecration before God and a commitment that he can talk to his people a whole lot more and we'll know when stuff around us is foreign. Listen, my kids, they know what's wrong but without having to me having to tell them. I have a friend of mine. This is it's kind of an embarrassing story a little bit for, for the person. But this is the truth. Listen. God is against homosexuality. It's wrong. It's a sin before God. So just as much alcohol is to drug addiction. And we still love them. We love each other. If you stay in the lifestyle, then you, that, that's you. But I, we're going to love you. We're going to help you see there's more to life than that. That's not God's will. We're going to help you see better. But see, I had a friend, his four-year-old kid, four-year-old kid, was in the mall. And this guy walked up, and he talked, talked very feminine. And this four-year-old looked at him and said, God doesn't like the way you're talking. And my friend's like, sorry, sorry, have a good day. My point is even a four-year-old can see that this is not normal. This is not what it's supposed to be like. There should be things, folks, when we walk out in this world that we go, ooh. That doesn't look right. That's right. That's right. Oh, that doesn't sound right. Yep. That doesn't feel right. Yes. If we are truly living and realizing that this is our, not our home, we are strangers in a foreign land, and we're holding on to the customs of our home that's in heaven, and we're looking to our maker and builder who is God, and we're, he's preparing a house for us, is what Jesus said, that we're holding on to those values, then when we walk this earth, we're going to recognize this is not right. Amen. That's not right. Well, but they're, they're Democrat or they're Republican. That, that they, they should always this or that. Both parties are not the same as they used to be, either one. 
Democrat friends that they're actually questioning because they're like, ah, this is not the party I used to know 20 years ago. Everything changed. You can't go by the political aspect of what's around us. We don't know. Things change. People change. Oh, I, there used to be a time. Man, I'm just preaching now. I'm being pastor. Disney. You used to be able to say, oh, it's just Disney. You can watch that. It's Disney. You can't do that now. Are you kidding me? It's a PG movie. They're throwing cuss words and swear words. and They got shows now about, about homosexuality now. They're, they're kids' shows. You can't trust something just because it used to be. The only thing we can ever trust is this thing right here. This is the only thing we can trust. You can't trust a denomination. You can't trust a church. You have to trust, trust this. I'm not talking about the church of the whole of God's church. I'm talking about a building. I'm talking about like new life. You can't just trust, oh, it's new life. They're always, you don't know. Stuff can start slipping. Jesus name won't happen. I won't be here. I tell people all the time. If I start going away, you take me on the street and you stone me. You take this word. This is what we preach. This is what we believe. It's not about denominationalism. It's not about all that stuff. We can't go by that. We've got to go by what the book says. Because this tells us our beliefs. This tells us our values. And when we walk on this land by faith, when we're looking into heaven, we're going to be so focused on God that we're not seeing or that we're able to look away from some of these things. We need to imprint into our heads that we are strangers here in this land. We are just passing through like a trip to another country. It's temporary. I'll only be here for so long. Think about it. What if you took a trip to your favorite or most desired location? Come on, we're getting into the month of February pretty soon. Every Minnesotan starts going somewhere. Where do they usually go? They go to Florida. They go to the beach. They go to the sand. They go somewhere where it's warm and there's sunshine and blue water. Wherever you can imagine. But you know you're temporarily there. You know your home is back in the frozen country. You know that's where you're from. You know you're going back to that someday, but you're going to enjoy. But you go there, you know you're Minnesotan still. I'm still Minnesotan, even though I'm on the Caribbean island. I'm Minnesotan, even though I know I'm in the deep south of Florida. I'm still I'm in the Keys, but I'm still Minnesotan. Everybody knows you're Minnesotan just by the way you talk. It's like we have some southern friends here. We can tell they're from the south. We love your voice. We've had, we've had southern people go to church and they move back to Oklahoma. Whatever. They're watching you. Terry Carter. Troy Carter. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, we miss them very much. Yeah. Do, we, do you think after some time they would want to come home? Back home? No. You, you, if, if, see, here's my point. Is if you, after a while, you stay at home. If you're staying, if, okay, during the winter, it's January, and you're in Florida, do you want to come back to the frozen place? No, you want to stay down there until it's hot. And then you want to come up back up here because it's a little bit cooler. So if we live in such a way that we don't desire to go back, we're going to miss that we are truly strangers and pilgrims. If we start turning our life into something that we desire more than God and heaven, then it's going to be easier to turn away from, or it's going to be easier to turn unto the world than it is to turn unto God. We have to remind ourselves we are just passing through. See, we get this Holy Ghost high from God and, and get this taste of heaven, but then that taste goes away. Why? Because you've exchanged it back for what you had. Abraham could have returned to his country where he had a home. He had a family. He knew everyone. It was comfortable. It was convenient. You know, I just thought about it just a second. I wonder why. Here's a great question to ask. Why didn't Abraham go back himself to seek his wife? Why did he send his servant? Interesting question. Could it have been because he didn't want to go and all of a sudden get sucked back into the world that he doesn't want to live in anymore? No, instead, he wanted to make sure he had the same blood. That's what he was desiring. But he was in a new land now, a new place. See, he was looking for another home, a home where the maker is God. And because he desired that home, God was not ashamed to be called his God. You want to keep the fire? Then keep your eyes on heaven. Keep reminding yourself that you are a stranger here. And your father is the father of earthly strangers. Verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who was, had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. The faith Abraham had is amazing in itself. Think about it. Upon this time there was never a record that someone was ever raised from the dead. But Abraham believed that by him sacrificing Isaac. 
that God was going to resurrect Isaac. Nobody ever done that. They had never seen anybody resurrected from the dead. But Abraham had such faith. God, this is your promise. You have promised me this. You're going to build this whole thing off of me. And you're building a home where people from my heritage are going to go to because of my seed. Because you promised that through my seed you're going to build a kingdom. And that kingdom was beyond Jerusalem. It was beyond the Jews. It went to Gentiles like we are. It went to the othermost parts of the earth. He built a nation of many people. Sometimes God places us in situations we have had to hope, we have to be bold enough and have, have enough faith to believe in the craziness. Crazy stuff. Nobody in our church really steps out and dances in the spirit or runs aisles, but has God called you a few times to step out and be radical before? I don't know what I've what I would talk about. I don't know what I would talk about with my neighbor or coworker if I invite them over to hang out or have supper. Maybe if I offer a Bible study, they will reject it. Yeah, when you step out, you may be rejected, but everyone has to has to lose some Judases in their life. Jesus did, and I can't imagine we would not be prone to the same attack by others if we're not living the way they want us to. I got to get going here. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became an age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Let me just stop and inject something right there. Sometimes we don't get the mindset of what Moses had. I like nice cars. I like boats, man. Take some nice boats on the lake. I love four-wheelers. I love snowmobiles. I love all that stuff. Come on, just think of the things you like and you if you had all the money in the world, what you would buy. That's what Moses had. He lived in the most powerful empire of the entire world. He had all the money at his hand at his disposal at any time. And you tell me, when you see someone living in poverty and getting, getting beat, do you desire that life? No, I'm going to desire this is a whole lot nicer here. But Moses had faith. Moses said, I have some nice things here, and it looks terrible over there. But I know that I'm called over there, and I know by faith I'm going to step out because God's called me to be there. Because my faith is on heaven. What I see out there, it looks terrible. But I know in heaven it's not like that. I'm looking to heaven where my maker is. Where my Jesus is. Where my God is. And that's where my father is. I want to be there with him. Verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. There's nothing in the flesh that will reward you more than what God has in store for you. I'll say that again. There is nothing of the flesh that will reward you more than what God has in store for you. There's no sin worth committing that will cost you heaven. Sin is a seasonal pleasure. Let's be real and let's, let's be frank about it. Sin can feel good for a little while. It's real. I lived in a world of sin. I grew up in sin. I can tell you there was times it felt good. It all felt right. But I can tell you that after a couple days, it didn't feel so right anymore. All of a sudden, I still had depression. I still had problems in my life. I still had pain. I still had questions. Nothing seemed to change for me no matter how much I drank or did drugs or had relationships. It did nothing. That's right. That's right. It was seasonal pleasure. Yeah. But heaven, that's forever. Living for God is forever. Sin is a seasonal pleasure, but eternal damnation. Have the faith Moses had and take the persecution that we as the church get and endure it because heaven is your home and not earth. Verse 32 through 35. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and the others were tortured, not receiving deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. I'm bringing this in for a landing as the musician comes. These men and women of God had a vision of heaven. Their faith was settled on the heavenly place that no man has seen. 
They did things that were impossible. They did things that were unthinkable. They did things that were unpopular. They were laughed at and teased, but they knew whose children they were. They knew their dad was the God of heaven. They knew their dad was the creator of the universe. It was their dad that put the stars in the sky. But even better, the same father they have is the same father we have. Yours and my dad is the mighty warrior that conquered the grave. He conquered sin and death, and on the third day, our Savior and Father, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. Our daddy is the one who made the waters and the earth. He's the one who gave life and takes life. He is looking for a people who will be bold enough to reach for this, reach for this world as if they were looking for lost brothers and sisters who can be persuaded to get on board the ship that's going to a new land, country, maker is God. Let's stand. Funny thing is in verse 35, we usually stop a lot of times, at least the part about the scripture that's so encouraging in Hebrews 11. But it gets a little depressing halfway through 35. And then verse 36, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, they should not be made perfect apart from us. Forgive your ADD, Pastor. But in verse 37, verse 38, sorry, it says, of whom the world was not worthy. Stop and think about that. Not worthy. It was speaking of the people that were tortured, persecuted, and tormented. In verse 35, it says, they would receive a better resurrection. It's interesting enough to look that the Bible would say that they're not even the people that of this world are not even worthy of these martyrs. It was something about their walk with God. It was something about their faith with God. It was something about when they were sitting in the Colosseum and all the lions were coming and they were going to kill them because they were Christians. That there was something in the whole Colosseum when they watched these Christians still cry out to Jesus, still cry out to God. And then slowly but surely, there was people in the Colosseum that started turning in faith and said, whatever they got, I want it. How can you stand there and get mauled by a lion and still choose Jesus? How can you still go through all that? There's something about them. Sometimes persecution is the very thing that multiplies the church. Sometimes hard times are the very times that are needed in order to have the good times. As sad as this part of scripture is, it is also sobering and enlightening because it helps us realize that not everyone gets all their prayers answered the way they want. Some of us are going to hear more people say yes to being asked if they want to know Jesus more, while others are going to be told no a whole lot more. That doesn't mean we give up. Some of us will ask somebody to church and be kindly told no, while others will make fun of us for it. That doesn't mean we give up. The key to all these people we have just read about, whether they saw the promises of God or didn't, they all have one thing in common. They wanted to go to heaven. They saw heaven as their home. It was a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Hell was never made for humanity. Hell was made for the devil. It wasn't made for us to go to. Heaven was made for us. That's what God wants. And unfortunately, there's people that will go to hell. But it was never the plan of God. It was never the will. See, they wanted to go to heaven. They believed that they were strangers on this earth. They didn't consider this their home. That is why some were able to endure the bad times 
And that is, is also why others were able to conquer the resistance that they faced. Don't ever underestimate the giants God wants you to conquer. Some may be smaller than others, but it's the point of conquering them that counts. You may be young or middle-aged or old, but God has a purpose for you. He has a plan. I just want to take this time right now to open up this altar. If you want to feel more comfortable still, you want to stay in your pew, that's fine. But why don't we just close our eyes just for a moment here. And I'm going to pray over us. And as I pray over us, when I'm done, we'll just take a little bit more time. And why don't you just pray and ask God to help you. Help you see this world as a foreign land. We are strangers in this land. And help us to see 2021 a different light, a different perspective. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the preached word. We thank you for the lived word. That God is alive around us and in us and through us. And God, we ask you this morning, help us, God, in 2021. Lord, as we start this year out, help us to have a vision of heaven to have a mindset of heaven, that that's where we're going and that's our destination, that we want to do all that we can right here so that we can be with you there. We're thankful that we can feel you here and you live inside of us and in our life, but God, there's more than just feeling you. We want to see you. We want to see your glory. We want to see those, those rooms that you've built for us, those mansions that you've made for us. Oh God, you've you prepared the golden streets. And it's not all about the gold that we're going to see, God. You can take the gold away. Just give me you, Jesus. Just give us a vision of you. That's all we want, God. You can give to take this whole world. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Well, come on. Why don't we just pray? Just take a little bit of time as we sing. Just glorify God. Just talk to God. Jesus, this is not my home. Jesus, I'm just passing through. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, yes, Jesus. Come on, if you know this song, why don't you just sing it? 